Hey guys, my name is Rhea and this is Was That Good For You, a podcast all about sex and relationships. We cover everything from kinks to long distance dating and everything in between. Today's topic is sex as a co-creative experience rather than a performance, which I think a lot of people deal with and struggle with and especially femmes and women. My guest today is Portia, also known as Froetic Sexology on Instagram. It's an incredible digital resource for all things sex and relationships and I highly recommend checking it out. I hope you enjoy the episode. I'd love to jump in with you just maybe telling me a little bit about yourself and your journey as like a sex educator. Of course. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy podcast interviews. I enjoy listening to them and I enjoy um, being a part of them. But yes, for anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Portia. I'm the founder and creator of Froetic Sexology, which is an online platform that helps educate women and femmes about who they are as sexual beings and helps to demystify a lot of the, um, you know, kind of bullshit, lies, myths, etc. around sex and sexuality. Um, and I have been studying sex for what feels like all of my life. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever people ask me, how did you become a sex coach? How did you become a sex educator? I always... Um, I always point the finger at my mom because when I was young, when I was probably just before middle school, she never talked to me about sex, but what she did do is she gave me books about like my period and my body and puberty and things like that, that she knew I needed to know as a young, like preteen. And then I was like, oh, so this whole like sex talk thing, like that doesn't really happen. Like that only happens on TV. You're supposed right. to like go and educate yourself and read about it. And um, I basically just never stopped. So that's what brought me here um, and into the into this work. That's so interesting because I feel like so many parents struggle with or just flat out refuse to have those conversations. But it almost feels like it was beneficial for you for your mother to almost maybe be like I'm not a sex educator like these books are going to give maybe more of an, an educated insight into these things so like instead of me trying to like awkwardly explain them the way that parents do I'll just give her like tools and resources from professionals absolutely I mean I know for a fact and I love my mother I love my grandmother but I know that my grandmother did not um, talk to my mom about sex. <laughs> I know she right. did not give her a proper sex education. And based on the things that growing up, my grandmother said to me, I know she just tried to instill the fear of God in her about sex, right? So right. my mom knew, like, there's things that she needs to know. There's things that my, my sister and I are close in age. And I'm sure she was thinking there are things that this, these girls need to know, but I don't have the words for it. And one way that she used to um, occupy us was by making us read. We couldn't go anywhere without a book of some kind. Um, we are really like bookwormy family anyway. So yeah. it just felt like a natural progression to be like, here, read these age appropriate <laughs> books about right. what's happening in your body right now. Yeah, that feels like an incredible way to do it because it's like I, I've even had a couple people who were like, oh, I'm a new mother and I am not good at talking about that stuff. So it's like being able to just, you know, 
have children have the tools to kind of learn themselves and take it at their own pace versus like forcing them into this awkward conversation is just a really great way. And I mean, even people that are that are my age, I'm just shy of 30 who have children, I can already see the panic in their eyes as their children are discovering their bodies. So it's almost not even a generational thing. It's just a cultural thing that the concept of talking about sex is difficult, but the concept of talking to children and young people about sex is like the most terrifying experience most of us can imagine. Absolutely. I mean, I even look back and like, I had a slightly different upbringing in the sense that I went to like private Catholic school. So I didn't get like the, um, like a a lot of people's, I suppose, public, you know, sex education. All I got was like, don't do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like, I have to kind of like take matters into my own hands and learn myself. And luckily the internet exists now. Well, actually, I don't know, luckily, but there are resources (laughs) out there now that make it a little bit easier for people to kind of do the work for themselves, I think. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think it's a mixed bag when it comes to the internet, especially when it comes to young people on the internet. We really, I feel like in high schools and in middle schools, we really do need to have some sort of inter- internet literacy um, courses, like how to navigate finding accurate information on the internet and truthful information on the internet. But if you can do it, wow, what a resource. Wow, what a way to, to learn about particularly sex and sexuality and puberty and all of those things um, these days, um, as long as you can get your hands on the right information. Completely. So um, another thing I noticed you do on your Instagram is you mix like self-work and mindfulness with sex. And I think that's really interesting because I think that people often see sex as something that always involves two people, when in reality, it seems like a big part of your message is like, sometimes it involves like doing the inner work first before you can come to a partnership and explore sex in a way that's positive and healthy. Yeah, I, I have to speak to sort of my own journey uh, as to how and and why I started doing that, because it really, most of the people that I work with, most of the clients I coach, when we talk about their sex-related problems, we almost never talk about what is literally happening in real time when they're having sex because most of our sex-related challenges aren't actually about the sex itself. It's almost like the sex is a symptom of something else that we're dealing with in our lives because I think we, as a society, we like to compartmentalize these things, right? I have I have myself at work. I have myself with my family. I have myself with my friends. And I have my sexual self with my partner. When in reality, those are all the same people, right? So I really, as I was sort of coming into my own sexual awakening a few years ago, um, towards the end of my college career, I realized, huh, the more I work on myself, my self-esteem, Um, healing past wounds and old traumas, uh, building up my confidence, setting boundaries, the more comfortable I am as a sexual being. And then I got a little bit older and I started practicing yoga and started practicing mindfulness and meditation. Not very religiously, I have to say, just for clarity, um, but a little bit more than I was before. And I was like, wow, the more I do this, the more it benefits like all of my life, including my sex life. And I think that we're finally to a point, I shouldn't say finally to a point, I'm finally to the point and my clients are finally to a point where we're realizing if we're going to fix these things, whatever your challenges may be, we really have to look at our 
whole lives and look at everything that's going on. So that if we have a pattern of, let's say, you know, not setting boundaries with our partners, not setting boundaries and enforcing them when we're having sex, we probably have a habit of doing that in another area of our life. And it can be really scary to go from no boundaries in sex to all of a sudden I know what I not only I have boundaries, I know what all my boundaries are, and I know how to confidently enforce them. Like that's a huge leap. Nobody can do that overnight. So what do we do? We have to look at some other parts of our life to help us get there. And meditation is a tool to help us sort of navigate, navigate all of these conversations. That makes complete sense because it's like people are constantly, um, I don't know if marketing is the right word, but like marketing mindfulness and meditation because it's like it will help with your work. You know what I mean? If you're more Mm -hmm. mindful throughout the day, you'll have a clearer head, you'll be better at your job or whatever the case is. And it's like people talk about, you know, yoga is like, you know, if you have a healthy body, it'll be good for you in this way and that way. But like relating it, I mean, sex is sex at the end of the day for so many people is, is a huge important part of our lives, right? We're sexual beings. And a lot of times our relationships and our sex life affect us in other ways. And so it makes sense that like the same would be vice versa, right? Like that if we're, if we're able to be more mindful in everyday life, we're going to be more mindful in sex. And if we're able to be, you know, healthier in all these other ways, we're going to be healthier in the way that we can set boundaries and that we can communicate with our partners. A hundred thousand percent. And, you know, to take it a step further and I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't know all the parts of the brain, But I do know that when we meditate and we engage in mindfulness, the same areas of the brain that sort of go go quiet during sex also go quiet during meditation. And I think that is really interesting because I always say that in order to enjoy sex and sexuality and specifically in order to have an orgasm, which is something a lot of my clients struggle with. I work with a lot of women and femmes who are not able to have orgasms with their partners. In order for that to happen, we have to let the body take over. An orgasm is when the body takes over. And there are so many parts of the brain that just sort of, I don't know if this is the right term, but they sort of shut down or go quiet when we have an orgasm. And if we're not able to sort of turn off our busy brains, right? We're not going to be able to do that. And practicing meditation and mindfulness is one way that we can give our brains some practice (laughs) and sort of like, okay, I'm going to shut down this part so I can tap into another part, right? Unplug this plug so I can plug in somewhere else kind of feel. Completely. And especially for women, I feel like we are so in our head. It's like, it's so much harder in my experience for women to achieve orgasm because for us, it's so much more mental than it is physical. It's like if we're thinking about work or we're stressed about something else or we're, you know, not asking for what we need in the bedroom or whatever the case is, I mean, there are a million different factors that can affect it. It's going to make our ability to achieve orgasm and and frankly, pleasure in general that much harder because we are so mentally like wound up that like you said it's like there's no way to get to do all of it there's no way to be like thinking about the next thing you have to do for work and your grocery shopping and taking your dog to the groomer and also like experience a really mind-blowing orgasm like our brain just cannot handle all that at one time no absolutely and you just hit the nail on the head that's the number one thing I think that people come to me and say they're like Portia I literally am thinking about like my mom my boss, the email I need to send in the morning, 
I'm not thinking about what is actually happening to me when I'm having sex with my partner. And one thing that pleasure demands from us is that we be present and that we sink down into our bodies to actually enjoy it. And most of us spend most of our day in fast forward, in autopilot, and in our brains and not in our bodies. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot we can do about it because our culture basically demands that we learn to multitask, that we suppress our body's needs. Like I haven't worked in an office in well over a year and I'm really grateful that I haven't had to do that. But since that separation, I look back and I think, wow, every day there was at least five times that I had to pee and I would say, well, just finish this email. <laughs> or I do that too. You got to make this other phone call. Or I would be hungry and be like, well, I'm going to do two more things before I go get a snack from the pantry or I go, go to take a break for lunch. And like actively suppressing, not, not only ignoring, but like actively suppressing the sensations that are in my body. So then you go home. And all you've been doing that all day. And all of a sudden you want to be intimate with yourself or with your partner. Like how your brain doesn't know how to do that because you haven't given it a chance to do that all day long. And that happens for weeks and weeks on end for months and months, for years and years to most of us. And yeah, it takes a lot of work to undo and reset and basically rewire your brain so that you can be present for sex. Wow, that is honestly mind blowing. I mean, but it, like you know, it makes sense. It's like I'm thinking about. I'm not. I'll admit that I'm not the best at mindfulness and meditation, but I go through phases where I'm really good at it. You know, and I'm doing it every morning before I I start my day or whatever. And I'm even thinking about the practices that I've learned when I have been super into it about like focusing on your breath or focusing on one part of the body and really feeling that part of the body. And I just. I am almost like, wow, how are more people not talking about using those practices in sex? It's like, <laughs> I, I, like I'm thinking about breath work in general and how amazing it feels when you can really get your, your breath steady and right and you're taking those deep breaths. And now I'm imagining like breath work or, you know, mindfulness focus on a specific body part in sex. And I'm like, oh, that feels mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where, you know, back in the day, I used to hear stories about women who are like, I don't know, at some hippy-dippy festival somewhere, and they're like, I can orgasm with just my breath. And, like, 19-year-old me was like, that's complete and total bullshit. And though <laughs> I have not and though I have not had, full disclosure, I've not had, um, I forget what they call them, but it's, like, a non-sensory orgasm, but basically an orgasm in de- induced without any touch. I haven't had that. But because I've done breathwork and meditation, I understand how it can happen. And I think I think that when it comes to mindfulness, a lot of people get intimidated because the concept of sitting down and being still um, for 10, 15, 20 minutes is like, how is that going to fucking help me? You know what I right, mean? Completely. Um, but really, meditation can be anything. And while, you know, sitting, meditating in stillness, is one way to do it. Walking meditation is a thing. I've been doing a puzzle for like three weeks. It's like a 500 piece puzzle. And I haven't done a puzzle since I was a kid and it's taking me forever. But I realized 
somewhere along the way, I was like, oh, this is a form of meditation. Like when I do this and the TV is off and I have music in the background and maybe I'll light a candle, like this is a form of meditation. And really it can be anything you desire it to be and whatever works for you. And so I really just want to open the door for people to not think of meditation as like sitting in lotus pose with incense you know, lit in the background, that's not necessarily going to work for everyone, especially with the way that society is set up. But you can find a form of meditation and you can carve out pockets of time to get in touch with your body and really slow down and unplug um, so that your brain is used to doing that. For sure. And I feel like if more people looked at meditation and mindfulness that way and looked at the way that it can affect your sex life or your work life or your everyday life and that it doesn't need to be this thing like you said where you're like wearing an all white linen outfit and like <laughs> sitting in like you know child's pose or something that it can be this thing that you incorporate in a way that's personal and effectual for you then more people would be open to trying it yes and that's why I think I think that making the connection between meditation and sex is is helpful because a lot of people are trying to improve their sex lives. That's why totally. Cosmo magazine has been on the shelves for like however long it's been on the shelves Completely. And, yeah. and sells like crazy, right? Like the most, the most common thing that people will invest their time in trying to discover is like, how can I be better at sex? How can I have better sex and be a better partner? Um, and a lot of the things that are suggested, I'm not going to lie, they're not going to work for everyone because they're fluffy or they're surfacey. And that brings me back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. Who cares if you can have a blended vaginal clitoral anal orgasm if you are emotionally in pain, if you like don't, if you like don't like yourself, if you like don't believe that you actually are deserving of pleasure and the pleasure you're receiving is performative, right? Um, yeah. And that's where like for my work, it's it really is about deep inner healing and unpacking sort of our social conditioning, right? Because we know that particularly for femme people and for women, we have a lot of social conditioning and embedded beliefs around sex and sexuality and like how can we unpack some of that right I've been doing this work for myself for almost 10 years and there's still so much there so much baggage to sort of unload and unpack around my thoughts and processes about sex and sexuality and what it means for me in particular as a black woman and so that's why I think that it's so important that I don't just you know and not that there's not a time and a place for this but I just can't do blowjob workshops and right. <laughs> like teaching people how to squirt like I've done squirting workshops and that's great but inevitably trauma comes up social conditioning comes up getting out of your head comes up so it's like all right well why don't we just cut to the chase and do the real work completely it's like laying the groundwork all those things are like the fun aspects of sex and they're great and like you said there's a time and place for them but all of that stuff it can be 10 times more enjoyable enjoyable and pleasurable if you've already laid that really really important groundwork and foundation of like okay I've like looked at myself in the mirror I've I've done the personal work I've you know I've accepted that I have these traumas that I'm you know breaking down or whatever and then I think that blowjob workshops and squirting workshops will be so much more fun once you've done all that pre-work almost. And I think yeah. that's really true that so many, and, and you talked about this a little bit 
previously, one area that so many femmes and women struggle with is accepting that they deserve pleasure for pleasure's sake. I feel like I speak to so many women who are, I don't know, they feel like pleasure has to be transactional. Like I don't deserve it until I, until I do this. I mean, we're talking about it even with work, right? Like holding our pee until we get this done or like Mm -hmm. eating until we finish a task. It's like the idea of just enjoying pleasure for pleasure's sake and having it and like asking and wanting pleasure and, and indulging just because you want it is something that I think is so foreign to femmes and women because culturally we've been taught that it has to be transactional or it has to be, you know, a male first sort of thing. And then we come second, maybe if there's time. Yes, absolutely. So my like kind of tagline or my affirmation that I share at the end of all my videos and all of my posts is you are divine and deserving of pleasure. And that's the end of the sentence. Like you're not deserving of pleasure when you um, land your six figure job or when you clean your bathroom, you're deserving of pleasure like right now. And one thing that I share that I, I've ha- I'm having to overcome like actively right now is this idea around resting, right? That's a form of pleasure that I have never learned to fully allow myself. And the last year being in, in lockdown and dealing with this whole pandemic has shifted my relationship with rest and made me realize how much I limit my rest. I used to literally say, okay, I'm going to sit on the couch for 45 minutes. I'm going to set a timer on my phone and I get to rest for 45 minutes and then I'm, I'm going to be done and I'm going to go back to working. And like, that's the, the, the allotted time that I've earned. Knowing fully well, I needed more rest than that, right? And how many people can attest to that kind of behavior, that kind of policing of yourself and not allowing yourself to indulge in as much pleasure pleasure as you want? Like, what the fuck's going to happen if you have too much pleasure? What the fuck's going to happen if you come too many times in a day? Like, you're going to take a bomb-ass nap? That's about it, you know? And I think you're absolutely right. For a lot of us, we have a tough time enjoying stuff, particularly women who are go-getters, who are, you know, self-motivated and very driven. We are the ones that have the hardest time enjoying the things. I remember a time in my life where it would be the weekend and I would be hanging out with my friends and I would be looking at them and they just looked so present and they were clearly enjoying themselves. And I was like, is everybody faking this? Am I the only one who kind of feels like, (laughs) You know, like I'm not really here. And that was a part of when I had to like do some inner healing work around rest and like watching my mom not rest. I'm the second youngest of seven kids. I grew up in a house with nine people and my mom was the housekeeper. She was a stay at home mom. She took care of all of us. She took us to all of our, you know, after school activities. She made sure we did homework and she cooked pretty much seven nights a week for all of us. Right. So she wasn't resting. And I learned that behavior from her. And why am I talking about this? Because that, that visual that I had growing up as a kid translated and trickled down all the way into my sex life because I never watched my mom enjoy pleasure. She didn't go get her nails done just because. She didn't go do things that pampered her just because. She wasn't resting just because. And so I did not inherit that as a habit. So it took me years to unlearn that and learn that I am inherently 
deserving of pleasure, whether that be sexual pleasure or otherwise. And I'm also bringing this up to help people see patterns in their own lives, right? Because it took me forever to make a connection between my habits around rest, my beliefs around rest, and my belief around my own inherent right to pleasure as well. Completely. And and like you said, it like it's it all all the these things that kind of keep us from really enjoying ourselves or from resting or from enjoying pleasure or whatever it is, they come from somewhere, right? So every mm-hmm. I mean everything comes from somewhere whether it's something that like society has taught us or the media or our parents or our sex education system, whatever is like, it all comes from somewhere. So I think it's great that you've been able to kind of pinpoint where those things came from, because that's where I think you're able to really start the healing is like, Oh, now I know where it came from. I'm going to work backwards. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's a part of sexual healing. Sometimes that we miss, it's like, who did you not see enjoying pleasure who didn't talk to you about sex right not and who did but gave you misinformation um and sort of working to heal those wounds and literally sometimes I have my clients quite literally rewrite those stories like actually put pen to paper and put themselves back in those scenarios and say this is what that person should, they were trying to protect me in that moment when they told me, you know, if you masturbate your hands, you're going to grow hair on your hands. But this is how I should have actually received protection in that moment and rewrite it um, to do some of that healing work. Because until we can reimagine and, and sort of acknowledge what was really happening in those moments in our lives when we were being actively conditioned and sort of trained around these things, then we can't move forward. We can't move forward as healed and whole people. Completely. And, and, and I think too, it's like when you're able to learn that for yourself, then you're able to learn it for other people. Because I'm thinking back on my own life and, and experiences and especially sexual experiences where, you know, I think this is like a common thing where a lot of women are like, oh, I didn't orgasm until I was in my 20s. Because like when you're in high school, like men, you know, or I suppose boys are, aren't, they aren't, they haven't learned, they've barely learned about sex, let alone the fact that like your partner's pleasure is as important as yours. So a lot of time, I think for femmes and women, you grow up, you know, thinking that you are almost, almost an object, you know, I mean, the media does, does a a number on us in that sense of, of saying that like sex has nothing to do with your pleasure and everything to do with your partner's pleasure. And so I think once you're able to learn that for yourself, you're also able to learn it for others. And then it makes it easier to like have this, these great partnerships or these great um, sexual experiences, because not only are you able to put your own pleasure at the forefront, but you're also able to say my partner's deserving of pleasure as well. And I think that that's super important. Yes. I love that. I love that you said that it's for me having a a really solid understanding that my sexual liberation is also tied up in everyone else's and that I can't truly be a free sexually liberated person until all of the people around me have also experienced that has been an important part of my journey. So often in society, we downplay the importance of sex and sexuality. And I think you're putting, you're putting forward a really important part of this conversation, which is, okay, once I learn and I start to change my behavior, I can then influence the other people around me, right? Which is the really important part of this. And I have a, a good friend and mentor sometimes. She's very much like a mother 
figure. She, her name is Shawnee Benton Gibson, and she's a healer and a psychotherapist. And she always says that when we heal ourselves, we heal for the women who came before us and the women that are coming after us. That's and that's what, isn't it beautiful to think about like, when you heal yourself, you actually get to heal your lineage, right? So you're no longer passing on that misinformation to your children, to your nieces and your nephews. And that conditioning ends with you. So it's much to me, this work as an individual and as a coach is so much bigger than just like teaching people to come. It's like about shifting our fucking culture and like making it so my nieces who are 12, 10, 12, 13 right now, so that they don't have to go through this stuff that I had to go through, right? And then their children are that much better off. And then on another level, just like influencing the people we have sex with, whether they are casual partners or um, more long-term partners. And I think what you're saying, particularly about, you know, sex when we are younger, when we're teenagers and maybe in our early 20s, it's very transactional. And not only that, I had to realize that a lot of men were using my body to masturbate and that wasn't sex yeah. as I would just, des- as I would describe it now. Yeah. It's just someone else getting their pleasure from my body being there. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people um, that sometimes the sex you are having is not actually sex. If that makes sense. Not that I'm saying that these things are like violent because I think it can be consensual, but I think that we have to learn to recognize the difference between those two things. Like just giving your body over to someone else for them to get pleasure and for you to get some sort of vague emotional satisfaction um, versus you actually receiving and benefiting in the ways that you deserve to. I love that because I feel like I know so many people who – you know, we're, you know, at a dinner table or whatever, and we're talking about previous sexual experience, and someone will be like, well, yeah, you know, we had sex, but, you, you know, I, I didn't come, and, and I wasn't, you know, super into it, and, and they weren't, they didn't really seem to care about my pleasure at all, and it, it lasted a few minutes, and then I said, you know, this isn't really something for me, and then I left, but, and I'm like, in my head, I want to, I want to say, like, you don't have to define that as, like, sex, or even, like, consider mm-hmm. that, like, a sexual experience you had like we were able to especially now it's you know there's such nuance to to what sex means for different people and it's like for a long time it just meant hetero penetrative sex and that's obviously not the cut and dry answer anymore and I think that that can go toward experience as well like you're saying it's like you don't have to look back on every experience and say yeah that was a that was sex it was fine it was like sometimes you can look back and say I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not going to accept that experience as something that was good for me. So like, I don't need to consider that as, you know, that I don't need to consider it. I don't even need to consider it sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's fair. And I think that would help a lot of people validate their experiences too, because I, I too have had the experience of people saying, yeah, but I didn't orgasm and it wasn't really satisfying. Or they'll even say things like, but that one didn't count because yada, 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 yada. And I'm like, yeah, yeah it did. It didn't count, <laughs> you know. Like that doesn't that doesn't qualify, or it should not be categorized as a sexual, pleasurable, fulfilling experience. Like, yeah, you and another person's body may have been in the bed together, but you don't necessarily have to categorize that as sex. And I think that with the transition away from sex being defined as this 
one act of penetration between a penis and a vulva, I think that that helps us sort of loosen up and say, you know, some of the things that I was doing, like it was sexual, but was it sex? I don't really know. Right. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's so much of it is about just like defining it for, as, as what it means to you and, and accepting that it's okay that sex for everybody else is a personal experience and that you're able to define it in the way that feels feels right for you. And I think that that also goes toward, you know, what, what you and I chatted about over email. And I think it was like the, the first piece of content I saw from you that really resonated with me, which is the idea that sex is meant to be a co-creative experience and not a performance. Because in my experience and with a lot of people I've talked to, sex is for so many of us purely a performative experience. And then people leave and wonder why they didn't enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Gosh, yes. And a lot of people are performing during their sexual experiences. And I want to break down what I mean by that. But they yes. don't even realize that they're performing. And I got a little bit of flack from that tweet because some people were like, well, what about if you're literally performing, if you're doing role play, what if there are performative elements? And I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about. And y'all know it. I'm not talking about <laughs> I'm not talking about you and your partner engaging in consensual role play. Like, obviously, that is a part of the sexual experience. When you make sex a co-creative experience, what I mean and my intentions when I wrote that is you are avoiding falling into the trap of the script that we've all been handed about sex and sexuality, right? And the script I had went like this. You tell me if yours is any is similar. Okay. So it's sex happens between two attractive cisgender heterosexual people. Usually it begins with between three to five minutes of kissing and making out heavy petting. Then someone might receive oral sex. Probably the person with a penis is going to get a beach real quick. Yes. Then there's penetration. When the person with a penis has an orgasm, sex is over, end of scene, right? And then in the middle of all of that, the person with the vulva is probably not having her clitoris touched. She's probably not having any of her erogenous zones touched. Um, she's being penetrated by the person with the penis. And the whole time she is pretending to enjoy the experience and she's getting everything she needs out of it. All of her needs are being met, even without asking her partner to do a single thing or giving him any guidance or direction. That's pretty much the script that we all get from media, from television, from films, from porn. Um, basically, there's one body there that's there receiving penetration and that's it. And then there's one person that's really enjoying themselves. Does that sound familiar to you? That was 90% of my sexual experiences until I started doing sex education work. <laughs> Same here. Like until, until a few years ago, that was pretty much what was happening as well. And I think that the performance element comes in when you're just trying to fill your part of the script. You're just reading your lines. You're just, yeah. you know, you're just trying to fill your part of the script and not actually being innovative. And I think that, one thing that I learned, so I'm bisexual. One thing that I learned particularly when I started having sex with women and penetration wasn't um, a part of sex in the same way is like, yeah. wow, we can really do anything like, and it be sex. Like we can really do a bunch of cool stuff and it be sex. And it we can do various 
things that affirm us and help us feel connected that don't have to have anything to do with penetration. I love penetration. I love dick. And that doesn't have to be the only part of my sexual experiences, right? And I also get to co-create with my partner what that experience is going to be, what it's going to include, what it is going to exclude, right? And what's going to be the most affirming for the both of us. And it's it's a challenge. It's hard, right, to break out of sort of your autopilot, pre-scripted version of what sex is. Oh, it's but so it's it's so hard, particularly when you're in a sometimes when you're in like a longer term relationship, you fall yeah. into habits and it's really easy to kind of lean on the script to let you know what to do. And let me tell you something, the script isn't always bad. <laughs> it's not always right. a bad experience, but the performativity, pretending to enjoy yourself more than you actually are not voicing your needs for fear of ruining the moment when in reality if you speak up and your partner is confused about something you can very easily chat about it and then continue right like that's not part of sex as it's presented to us in porn or in movies there's not a moment of like hey like can we switch up the da 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 and then there's dialogue and then you do the thing like why can't that be a part of a normal co-creative sexual experience as well Completely. And I think that that's a, a hard thing for people. It's like, I hear so many people say the term, I don't want to ruin the moment. And it's like, nothing's going to ruin the moment unless you, you know, when we're talking about consensual sex, nothing's going to ruin the moment unless you let it ruin the moment. Like, just because, you know, media has taught you that if you say, ow, because you accidentally, like, you know, pulled a hamstring in the middle of sex that like the sex <laughs> is over like it's okay for that you to like take a breather or take a second or say actually I'm not feeling this or do you want to switch it up this way or sometimes just like needing a moment to like catch your breath or whatever none of that stuff like you said is portrayed in media so people all of a sudden immediately write off the entire sexual experience because it doesn't fit this one script that we've all been taught when in reality once I let that go and I was able to be like oh my partner you know, needs five minutes in between because he's really tired or whatever. And then as a younger person, I'd be like, oh, there's something wrong. He's not having a good time. This is not the way that I've been taught that sex is versus now that I'm able to let that go and just say sex is whatever it is in this moment and whatever is going to bring me pleasure, bring my partner pleasure. I'm like, cool, take five minutes. We'll start again. We'll keep it going and everything's going to be fine. Yes. And that to me speaks more authentically to like, co-creation and if you don't like that word you can find another word like but what I'm really trying to stress is like releasing that script getting rid of it getting innovative getting creative with you and with even with sex with yourself right because you can be performative in your solo practices as well you can be following a script in your solo practices as well right the way we respond to pleasure doesn't have to look a particular way, right? It's about striving for authenticity within yourself, which is hard, which is a challenge because we have to say, okay, I'm not going to play pretend anymore. I have to erase the memory of 30 years of watching movies and 15 years of seeing porn and learning right. to emulate those people, right? Putting myself in their myself in their shoes and trying to emulate them. It can take a while to unlearn that and that's fine. The intention behind being co-creative is what is key. It's not necessarily about the end result and focusing too much on that, but it's just like, if I feel like I need to get up and go pee in the middle of sex, 
God damn it. I'm going to get up and go pee. And when I come back, I'm going to tell my partner, I don't like doggy style. And that <laughs> I want to do something else or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? And just being creative, bringing other things into the mix, whether it be um, something more adventurous, like hot wax, sex toys, even just having like a massage session. The idea of mutual masturbation is really intimidating to a lot of people, but it will yes. set you free if you bring that into your sex life. If that's something that you and your partner enjoy, like just being less um, phallocentric and less focused on penetration and more focused on being creative and saying, hmm, what's going to be affirming for both of us right now? Right. Completely. And it's like, even what you just said about like flipping the script on like the narrative that it has to include penetration. It's like, I so much resonated with what you said about your experiences with women because I'm bisexual as well. And actually it's crazy for the longest time I started experimenting with women somewhat younger, like when I was in high school, but it, it took me years and years and years to actually start counting those as valid sexual experiences mm -hmm. because I had also been having sex with men and because I was taught for so long that it only counted if it was penetrative sex so for a long time it's like I invalidated those really really important and honestly pleasurable sexual experiences because they didn't fit this heteronormative script that I'd been taught my whole life mm -hmm. yeah I was very much the same I think that a lot of people um particularly people who came out later in life like I did. I was 24, but I had been sleeping with women for like three or four years before I actually was like, oh, I'm bi. Don't what? ask me that. <laughs> especially too with like femmes and women, society tells you that it's like a phase or you're just experimenting or you're doing it because like porn has taught us that it's this fetishized hot thing. And it's like, it does sometimes for so many women take a long time to be like, oh, I'm actually queer. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And like that experience was, was so strange, but also so beautiful. But I think that now that I've finally opened myself up to the idea that sex doesn't have to be about a penis, whether it be a plastic one or a silicone one or a real one made of human flesh, I can, I can validate all of those experiences now, right? I can really welcome them and understand them as real and as valid. And I just thank you so much for saying that because so often we sort of gloss over that part of our stories and being yeah. and not really embracing that. You know, there was a time that I didn't really acknowledge this as part of my sexual experience or like as valid sexual experiences. Um, but now I've grown to understand that it absolutely is. Absolutely. And the last thing I really wanted to ask, because I can't believe it's already been 42 minutes that we've been talking. <laughs> right, right, right. But the, I think it's a great place to end. But I would just, I would love to know what, what you think is like, how can we show up more authentically in sex? Like, what can somebody do to kind of start this inner work? Because they want to be less performative because they want to be more authentic in their sexual experiences for themselves and for their partner. Yes, I love this question. So a couple of things. Um, the first thing I always suggest to people, if you are trying to like, find your voice, a lot of our authenticity gets caught up in not being able to talk to our partners about sex, whether it's in real time, or like outside of the sexual situation, like addressing challenges, addressing wants, needs, desires. If you're finding that you're having a hard time vocalizing what you need, Start with something really low risk that has okay. nothing to do with sex. 
right? So the example that I always use when it comes to like setting boundaries or like asking for what you want is like food. Food is for me is as close to sex as it gets. So if you are a person who who has some sort of boundary around food that maybe you're not enforcing, like perhaps you don't like when people eat off of your plate without asking for permission, but you find that you don't say anything, like yeah. start saying something, start saying something in those scenarios. Or if you are, not a lot of people are working in offices at this particular time, but if you are working in a group setting or working around other people and there's someone who's always hovering over your desk and just yammering in your face all the time and you want them to go away, start telling that bitch to go away. Like stop letting people encroach on your boundaries, right? Yeah. So find and identify a place in your life where you're letting your boundaries be crossed or you're not voicing it or, and expressing your needs and start doing it. And I think that is helpful because it lets us see that when we voice what we need, the world does not fall apart. Nobody dies. No, there's no explosions, right? So it helps us start to slowly build that confidence that like, okay, I can ask for what I need and nothing yeah. bad is going to happen. And then you can slowly graduate to asking your partner for things. Again, they can be non-sexual things, just trying it out. And you can build to having conversation with them about sex fully outside of the bedroom and then graduate to having, you know, real-time dialogue about what you need during sex. So that would be one suggestion. The other thing would be spending more time with yourself. A lot of us, we we may be having solo sex and we may be masturbating, but we don't view it on the same plane as the sex we're having with our partners, right? We always talk about masturbation like it's this like appetizer or like lesser version of sex. Yeah, when in definitely. reality, yeah, definitely. It's always like a substitute for real, for real sex, right? Yeah. But the reality is, the most important relation, sexual relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. So really start to cultivate intimacy with yourself. Really start to carve out time. I don't care if it's once every other week. Really start to carve out time to spend with yourself and really explore your body in new ways. A lot of us have a process. We have our favorite sex toy. We always masturbate in the same, same position. Yeah. Start to switch it up. Start to do something different. If you always masturbate on your back, like lay on your tummy, lay on your side, stand up in the shower, do whatever you have to do to switch it up and explore how your body feels. If you never touch any other part of your body other than your clit, like start to feel around and move your hands around, right? So that you have a deeper understanding of like, oh, actually my inner thighs are so sensitive and I actually love that sensation. I should ask my partner to engage with me in this way more than the next time we have sex. You can't have any discoveries about yourself unless you switch it up. And some of the discoveries that about your sexual self can only be had when you are alone and your guard is completely down and no one is around. So dedicate time to that. So that way, you know, a lot of the struggle with showing up authentically to sex with your partner is centered around not knowing what you want, right? Yeah. Not understanding fully like how to articulate I really like when you kiss my inner thighs. I really like when you pull my hair, right? But if you haven't spent time with self, you may never discover that unless your partner just naturally wanders off into these areas that you never asked them to go to, right? Okay. But if you spend time with yourself, you can actually say what you like and what you need. 
And that will make the responses of pleasure that much more authentic. So those would be my like main, main suggestions. Find your voice, work on finding your voice um, and spend time with yourself. And of course, I always add this caveat because I'm a huge, like we started talking about in the beginning, I'm a huge fan of mindfulness. And my favorite part of mindfulness as a practice is every mindful act that we do is done without judgment. So when we're doing these things, when we are nurturing our voice, when we are nurturing ourselves as sexual beings, we have to do it without any judgment, right? Because just like we've spent the last 40 minutes talking about, there's a lot of shit that we all have that isn't even ours. There's a lot of shit that's been dumped on us that isn't even ours. So have compassion for yourself. Be patient with yourself. and Don't judge yourself if you feel like you're not doing, quote, doing it right, right? Completely. And just giving yourself the space, like you said, to grow and to find your voice, however long it may take or in whatever way it takes. I think a lot of people, you know, if they came to that conclusion by themselves of like, oh, if I speak up for myself at the grocery store when someone's standing too close behind me, what does that have to do with anything else in my life? But like you said, it's like, then you hear it in this way where it's framed as like, that's just the beginning, you know, that's just, that's just step one. Like once you can do that, then the possibilities are endless. So for people to like, not downgrade those those little things that seem little but actually when you add them all up they can really change the way that you're able to experience life and pleasure and love and everything else absolutely how we show up in life is how we show up in bed right and our brains love patterns so if you have a pattern of behavior outside of your sex life that pattern could show up in your sex life and vice versa so it's not disconnected it's all connected it's all connected and once we realize that we look at our behavior so much differently and we're able to heal holistic it doesn't make sense to heal one area of your life it doesn't make sense to learn how to speak up in your workplace only right imagine how much more dynamic you would be as a person if while you were healing your voice and nurturing your voice in your workspace you are also connecting it to oh i gotta lend this thought pattern this way of thinking to how i talk to my mom and how i talk to my partner during sex and how i talk to my neighbor who's fucking nosy right like making those connections so that you're not having to do the work over and over again when you heal in one area you can prioritize healing and growth in another at the same time completely i think that's amazing advice and honestly a great place for us to wrap up um thank you so much for coming on i feel like i i learned a ton about myself and about everything (laughs) we talked about and i'm really excited for everyone to hear as well and i'll make sure um to link poetic sexology in the bio for anybody who wants to hear more of your amazing wisdom thank you again for being on this was truly incredible awesome i enjoyed the conversation and i can't wait to listen to it back (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you for having me of course yeah thank you so much 